We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. And we're back with Dr. Nathan Riley. Dr. Nathan Riley, um, I think I mentioned it on this podcast, is like a, a young Zach Bush. Um, nobody's quite Zach Bush, and uh, nobody's quite Dr. Nathan Riley. So even though it's a flattering way of putting it, uh, I think I drew that context because of the fact that Dr. Nathan Riley is an OBGYN as well as a hospice care doctor. And um, even though we didn't get into this story on this podcast, uh, one I will link to in the show notes is a podcast that Dr. Nathan Riley did with um, Charles Eisenstein, who's coming on the show uh, next month. And, you know, many of you have heard me talk about Charles and as just one of the most amazing people on the planet. Dr. Nathan Riley is as well. On that podcast, he, he told a pretty significant story of delivering a baby and ushering someone into uh, or through the death portal all in 24 hours. So pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. As Again, he doesn't get into that on this, but we get into a lot of amazing stuff on this podcast. Uh, in short order, I have really become close with Dr. Nathan Riley. I um, got to hang with him first out at Paul Check's 60th birthday. Uh, many of you have heard my referencing to him through my meeting of Jared Picard, who was on last week. And um, yeah, just a fantastic, fantastic and amazing soul brother who, again, is kind of like the God nod, the God head nod, where <laughs> I get connected to somebody like this and I'm like, fuck yeah, I get to go through life with this dude in my life. And y'all do too now because you're going to get a chance to really understand who he is and um, just the amazing medicine he's bringing to the table. Um. Yeah, I'll leave it right there. He's just a fantastic dude. This is such a great podcast, and I'm super thrilled. And I'm going to have him back on many, many, many times for sure. Um, and a great reference point. You know, he's really had um, a fairly down the line uh, approach to all of the stuff, the events in the world, and but but clearly sees it. You know, um, there's nothing that uh, I talk about um, that really is is out of his frame of understanding but he has a very gentle way of approaching it and i love that and appreciate that i had um some bee medicine allison charles just uh record and i just recorded yesterday she wrote a book called power animals and it's all on how spirit animals interact with us and uh for probably the last four years the honeybee uh of all creatures on the planet has been one that has been really speaking to me and um I have no idea why I'm fucking bringing that up right now, but any, oh, I do know right before that podcast, a bee was in my car and, uh, and it was before the Adam chin podcast. And, uh, this bee came in and, and the message at the stoplight was be sweeter. And I was like, ah, okay. And I know that's a pun. Um, don't, I don't intend it that way, but that certainly was, uh, resonant with me to be sweeter in my approach to conveying these messages. Uh, obviously, this is coming in lieu of the Red Pill Solo podcast, but I bring that up now because Dr. Nathan Riley has a sweetness and he has a way of conveying his wealth of knowledge that I think is is really palatable for a lot of people and necessary. Um, because you know, when, especially when we're talking about some of the the world events that are a little bit darker. It's just hard to take in if, if you sound like a pro wrestler. You know, there's just no two ways about that. And I, I can imagine at least a few people who have been spot on 
um, in their discussing of the world events and, you know, part and parcel of the, of the issue that a lot of people have with them is how they say it. It's how they get it across. So thank you. Another, another, um, another God nod from the beet honeybee, which has been definitely my most prominent, uh, power animal in the last four years. So all that to say, uh, this episode's fantastic. Dr. Nathan Riley is fantastic. And you're going to be hearing a lot more from him through the future. And if you do want more, check out the podcast in the show notes that he did with Charles Eisenstein, because it is quite lovely. There are a number of ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, um, support our sponsors. They make this show possible. Secondly, rather than leaving us a five-star review and all that jazz, just check us out. Uh, check me out on Zion. If you're already on Zion, all you have to do is search communities. The community name is Kyle Kingsbury, and I will pop up. Click follow, and then talk to me there. You know, I I love um, the group is still growing. It's very easy for me to respond to people. Um, you don't need to private message me. Just talk to me in the chat, and I'm happy to chat with people there. Also, you can reach out via DM. To my wife and I, at Living with the Kingsburys on Instagram, and let me know what you think of these episodes because I want to engage with the audience. I want to hear feedback, and I want to know where you're at. So let me know what's working for you, what isn't. Um, if there's any like uh, amazing guests that I have to have on this show, uh, throw me um, some ideas, and, and I will certainly look into them. All right, supporting these sponsors, we are brought to you today by Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. This is important. A lot of people can make things tasty, but they do so at the expense of your metabolic health, not Organifi. We've had Drew Canoli on, who is the founder. He's just a phenomenal human being. Um, and I should be going on his podcast shortly, so stay tuned for that. But these guys are more than a superfood company. They are a lifestyle with roots and transformational coaching. They discovered the power of mindset and community in creating sustainable change. You know, really, this was born out of wanting to give people access to high-quality organic ingredients and, um, and really in a no-fuss manner. Uh, back in the day, these guys were big into juicing as I was, and juicing is something that, that is good, but it takes a long time, and you know, oftentimes to make it tasty and palatable, uh, you end up with quite a few liquidized carbohydrates, which is no way to take in uh, nutrition. So what they've done is they've they've chosen the highest quality plant-based ingredients for optimal health. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers when possible and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. Also glyphosate-free. That's a big one. Uh, these taste great. They are super convenient you know, to have on the go. They have single packets that you can pack, and I have a backpack loaded with them. So every time I travel, my family can access uh, a lot of these superfoods. The Organifi Green Juice is uh, an absolute staple in our daily diet. It has a clinical dose of ashwagandha, which helps uh, support cortisol levels and weight management, and it just makes you feel good. You know, 600 milligrams of ashwagandha as an adaptogen is a whopper and quite effective, and you'll feel the difference with it. It really can balance and help manage stress, and um, I just love this product. There's moringa and a ton of other things that are in there, antioxidants and um, a lot of the greens that you're not necessarily going to get even if you enjoy salads. So this is one of the ways that I balance out my most heavily meat-oriented diet. Um, as I mentioned, moringa's in it, uh, chlorella, which is great for detoxing and binding to pollutants in it, and um, you know some of the nastier stuff we might get if we go out to eat, uh, heavy metals and things of that nature, which I dove into with... 
um, Dane Wigington. So very important stuff in these times, the greens. Uh, and it, it is a way that you can bolster and boost something that doesn't taste that good, like Kratom. Um, and of course, the Organifi Gold, which is my go-to every single evening it is absolutely phenomenal. It's got turmeric. It is highly anti-inflammatory, and it also contains a clinical dose of lemon balm extract, which will help you go to sleep and stay asleep and have a beautiful night's rest as I do damn near every night now. It's becoming a habit. I mix it with full-fat coconut cream from the can, and I have this hot. So I do some hot water, then I put in a little coconut cream, and it's just my favorite nightly treat. Check it all out. These guys are running a Super big deal, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that is going from November 26th all the way through the 30th. You have to add my code at the end, which is KKP. They've never done it before. It's 25% off everything in the store, plus free shipping on orders over $100. Get it at Organifi.com slash KKP and use the code KKP at checkout. Again, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. And then punch into that little code section, KKP, for 25% off when you order from November 26th through the 30th, 20% off regularly, which is still a phenomenal deal. We're also brought to you by Lucy. Lucy uh, was founded by Caltech scientists who were former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative, and they researched and developed this for three years. They created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that has three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. They also have a lozenge, which is great for airplane flights. You can use it anywhere, in the gym, flights, work, on the go. Um, I really love this in the gym. You know, as I've mentioned before, that nicotine is nootropic. It fits in the same um, receptor sites is acetylcholine in the brain. All nootropics are trying to create more acetylcholine in the brain, and this is nature's remedy for that. Nicotine fits in that very receptor. It is a muse for authors and musicians and creative people, and it really helps me lock in focus. It's also fantastic because it doesn't keep you awake at night. It's, it has a stimulant property, but also a calming property, and it has a shorter window of activation, meaning if I have a Red Bull at night, it's going to keep me up for six hours. So even if I have an hour of work, I now have five hours and change of dealing with caffeine. Whereas if I have nicotine at night, I can get the pep that I need while I'm reading. And then uh, you know I take my gum out and I'm good to go to sleep. So this is phenomenal stuff. Lucy uh, is incredible. You can use it anywhere. And um, check it out. They're doing 20% off any order and it's applicable to all products at lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O. Enter promo code KKP at checkout specifically for my listeners. Again, that's lucy.co, promo code KKP. You're going to get 20% off everything in the store. We are also brought to you by eatenhemp.com. Think white rice versus brown rice. Superseeds are hemp hearts before they have the shell removed. Superseeds simply keep the outer shell on the seed, which adds the crunch, fiber, and loads of micronutrients such as zinc and iron. Eden Hemp is a farmer-owned hemp portfolio company out of upstate New York, focusing on using all the powerful benefits of hemp to create superfood products. They offer delicious and nutritious farm-to-table certified USDA organic hemp food products, including toasted hemp seeds and hemp hearts. Their products are tasty addition to just about anything, including smoothies, <laughs> including smoothies, salads, or your favorite healthy recipe. Uh, I love throwing um, some of this into my Kalina yogurt. It's just phenomenal. I like having a little crunch in there. And uh, not only do they boost the flavor, but they add a protein and fiber punch, omega-3 boost, and are loaded with micronutrients, as I mentioned, magnesium, zinc, and iron. Um, these guys are really just an incredible company, and it's really important. You know, I've, I've, I've 
really been trying to hammer home the importance of USDA certified organic, but especially when it comes to hemp. Hemp is a phytoremediation plant, so it sucks up whatever is in the soil that it has grown in that includes the good and the bad. Eaton Hemp is proudly USDA certified organic and third-party lab tested, so you can rest assured it is grown in the finest soil, free of toxins, pesticides, and heavy metals. Hemp absorbs about 10 tons of carbon per acre in just one season. One acre of hemp can produce the paper it takes four acres of trees to produce in 20 years. So again, these guys are supporting all sorts of different elements that help heal the soil and heal the earth. And you can rejuvenate your body and purify the air you breathe at the same time, making the planet cleaner by supporting Eaton Hemp. They're farmer-owned, they're farm-to-table, 100% organic, vegan, and gluten-free, non-GMO and keto-approved. And they have some amazing blends too. So if you like something a little sweeter, they have uh, some really cool products that are that are you know hemp-based snacks. Um, check it all out. Go over to eatinhemp.com and use the discount code KINGSBOO. That's K-I-N-G-S-B-U for 20% off your entire order. I guarantee anything you order from these guys is going to be a fantastic way to boost your health and the health of the planet. Eatinhemp.com. Discount code Kingsboo. Last but not least, we are brought to you by InsideTracker.com. InsideTracker is uh, one of the coolest things I've heard about. Uh, really, what these guys do is you can get your genetics, something I've been talking about for a very long time, tested uh, with their their um, simple home test kit, which is, I think, just a saliva swab, as well as blood work done. And then they will match this and bring, bring a personalized... Um, set of things that you can do to improve your health. So once they have your preliminary blood work as well as your genetics, uh, you open the app, you log into your account, and from the app, you can punch in goals that you have, whether it's uh, longevity, I want to live longer, and I want to reduce my biological age from um, my actual age, or I want to uh, improve cardiovascular performance, any of these things, and then they give you, based on your genetics and your blood, different ideas that you can do from a lifestyle standpoint, what type of foods do you eat, when do you go to sleep, how to reduce stress, to which types of working out and conditioning are best suited for your goals with your genetics and your blood. And this is one of a kind. It is absolutely one of a kind. Check it all out at insidetracker.com slash KKP and enter the code KKP at checkout. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Again, that is uh, insidetracker.com slash KKP and enter the code KKP at checkout and you guys are going to get 25% off everything in the store. These guys are doing something that is remarkable. It's novel. It's one of a kind and it's one of the fastest ways to track your health with biometrics. Uh, you know, the app works with other things, you know, as far as um, fitness trackers and things of that nature It's fully integrated and it's really an incredible one of a kind way to take your health back under your own control. Without further ado, my man, Dr. Nathan Riley. This is good. We're talking about friends, uh, Sarah and uh, Alex, that have been on the podcast. Yeah. Czech practitioners. I met you through Paul Czech. Many of the guests that have been on the show have been met through Paul Czech or hooked <laughs> up through Paul Czech. So right. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking awesome. But you're in town for the Runga event, which is Ben Greenfield's event, right? Ben Greenfield and Joe, Joe DiStefano. That's right. That's yeah. right. He's the Spartan or the... Uh, so Joe, I think, has his own coaching business. And this is this event is. But didn't of, he start one of those racing things? No, no, no. That's Joe, uh, not Joe DiStefano. It's um, what's his name? The Spartan guy. It's uh, 
Joe something or other. Okay, okay. But uh, Joe DeStefano's, he's got like a holistic lifestyle coaching business, I think. And then he partnered with Ben Greenfield and some other sort of, you know, people in that space who were, you know, they're, they're offering this, this big, um, retreat, three day retreat out there. And so, and you were hanging with Josh Trent yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Josh and Carrie put me up. Yeah. I I met them because they needed some help with their, with their, their birth. Oh yeah. a, A baby boy a couple months ago. And so Sarah had recommended Josh reach out. And, um, I was on the phone with them while they were in the hospital and kind of advocating for them and helping them kind of suss out some decision-making. I'll, I'll let them share their story, but yeah, I'm sure it, I'll have them both on at some point. That was a yeah, rough ride for them. It no was doubt. a, it was a rough, rougher than they were hoping for. And I just so happened to be so invested in the birth space and having left like the conventional model, I know how to navigate the the hospital system better than anybody. <laughs> so, so, um, while I'm a huge home birth advocate, when somebody ends up in the hospital, like they did, it's like, okay, let's take a step back and let's actually look at what they're recommending. Are these interventions necessary? What's the absolute risk? Not the relative risk, but the absolute risk of this bad thing happening that's looming over your head and that they're using to, for lack of better terms, kind of coerce you into do certain things in order to cover their, their ass, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's, kind of the crux of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's, let, well, let's start there. Let's, let's yeah. dive into that. You, sure. um, what did you get into first? Cause I know, you know, you, you have a fantastic, and I'll link to this in the show notes too. We'll probably have some overlay with it, but another great place for people to, to listen. And if you want more as a podcast, you recently did with Charles Eisenstein. Yeah. And it's funny the, the synchronicities he's finally coming on this podcast, I think in a couple of weeks. Oh, right on. Uh, remotely, but yeah, the podcast was brilliant. One of the things you talked about was how um, Dr. Zach Bush, who's been on the show, yeah. is kind of a, a mentor from afar, and how yeah. you you have learned so much from him because of your work, not only as an OBGYN but also in hospice care. Yeah. So yeah. Talk, talk about your, you know, what what drove you into medicine, and and obviously how did you land in both of those aspects? Because that is fairly unique, as far as I know. Maybe yeah. it's not, but. No, I got a lot of a lot of shit for that over the years because <laughs> if you're working in the conventional medical model, so the way it works is when you're 18, they say, "What do you want to be when you, when you grow up?" Right, and you say, I, "I guess I want to be a doctor." Because if you're, you know, if your your family is at least middle class, you can afford to do college, and then the other stuff that comes later, and you're good at the sciences. Like I was in all the advanced chemistry and physics and all that stuff, so they, it was like a natural, like, "Hey, if you're smart, you go and be a doctor." It was just I don't know, it was part of my view of the world. <laughs> and then you go through four years of, I, I went through five years of college and then you do the med school thing and then you have to specialize and then you subspecialize. And so you get through that whole thing. And then you look back and for me, it was like, man, that was weird. Like, that's not really what I thought I was going to be doing. And what drew me into OBG, uh, into the OBGYN training was really the magic of birth. It was this thing that I had absolutely no concept of and even the person who's giving birth has no concept of it. It was this magical, sacred thing. And I know you as a dad, you've been through that. It is, if you're willing to like sit back and really hold space for that, there's something magical there. And for me, it's like, let me find the thing that I, I know the least about. And that's the thing I want to become an expert in. So as a man, I'm never going to go through birth myself. And there's some magical mystery tour <laughs> yeah. that, that seeing birth kind of took me on as an intellectual, but also as a man and as a 
as a husband and everything else. So yeah, no matter what emojis they come up with next, yeah, <laughs> it's it's absolutely biologically impossible yeah. for you to give birth. I'm yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. For <laughs> I won't ever do that. Yeah, yeah. My penis isn't big enough to accommodate what's going to be coming through <laughs> through into the world. Um, so you know, you get into that that practice, like they call it the practice of medicine, because you're you're just like. I mean, med school is like a textbook, the biggest textbook you can imagine every two weeks. Like we go through so much material and we understand so much about the human body and all this. And then when you try to apply that in birth, you realize like everything I'm doing is actually messing things up. You know, it's sort of like with the vaccine conversation. It's like, why would we take a perfectly healthy person and jab something into their arm that could potentially have some downstream consequence? Like when you start mucking with nature, you get into trouble. And, uh, and I know that, you know, when I've listened to Zach Bush talk, he doesn't, I don't even know him. Like we've never met, but when I listen to him speak, he's actually, he actually touches on some of those things that you have to start. If you're present with it, you start questioning that in medicine, because what we do is we take this perfectly physiologic process, whether it's in birth or anything else, and we start mucking around and you, you inevitably create problems that were unforeseen. And then you go back and try to fix those problems you created. And it gen- ends up in this giant cosmic game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. Uh, Czech has a beautiful illustration of that in How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, where yeah. you're, it's a billiard game, That's right? right? And you're trying to knock the eight ball in in the corner pocket off the, the break. Right. And you're, you're, you think that all the other balls are going to magically go in, too. Oh, that's an awesome right? image. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. You don't yeah. know where the fuck anything's going. <laughs> you don't know what the other... <laughs> You know, like there, it's and it's just it's it's you know it's it's in a it's hand drawn. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. cartoonish, but it's like it's such it's one that grabs you immediately. Absolutely, because it's yeah. undeniable. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's that's exactly right. So you know, you train with midwives. The midwifery care model is kind of where I'm at now. Is it's like if we want to really support changing maternity care, like we have to get midwives to be front and center because they just hold space for the process. And they only get in and get muck, you know, start mucking around if absolutely necessary to meet the goal of the patient and their partner and the baby. So, so, you know, you're doing all this training, you're like hundred hours a week, you're doing OBGYN stuff and that's birth, it's GYN surgery, it's, it's reading imaging, it's ordering labs, it's treating with antibiotics, it's doing all that stuff and, and never really seeing outcomes change. Like you're not really seeing anything improve. So why are we doing all this stuff? You know, it's expensive, it's time consuming, it's inconvenient for the patients. Why can't we just take a step back and, and actually think a little bit more, you know, use, use our experience and, and try to put together a, a new paradigm as to how to, to keep people healthy, you know, as opposed to mucking around with something that already works only to have to fix that problem later and then call yourself a hero. I mean, that's really what a lot of medicine is. So, so then after OBGYN training and I realized, man, we're, we're like, we're mucking around th- with things that don't need to be mucked around. then. I experienced the loss of my father, which actually was in medical school, but it stuck with me in, in a way that, as your, the death of your father does, but it stuck with me because I realized, oh my gosh, up until the very moment that he passed, they were trying to fix his cancer. You know, so there, there's, a, there's a part of, of the human experience, which is coming to terms with your own mortality, right? And that actually happens in birth. If you talk to a woman about what did you experience, it's a full-blown psychedelic journey. They step through this portal. There's this transformation of spirit and they, they emerge with a new skin, with a new embodiment. And you as the dad are also this new embodiment and the, the, the embodiment of your relationship is brand new. 
And of course, there's this baby that's now a part of that whole mix, you know? And so um, when, we, when we start to approach the end of life, we're actually faced with a very, very similar, con- it's a confrontation with your own mortality, of course. And you may have never even had to experience that, especially as a man, because you haven't given birth. Um, but apart from like near-death experiences, what prepares us for that process? And again, just like with birth, we start applying all these external forces to try to control something. This is what, you know, Charles Eisenstein, I think, elaborates so clearly in all of his books. Um, I'm rereading um, the, the More Beautiful World Our, Our, Our Hearts Know is Possible right now. And, um, you know, he talks about this, this tendency we have to try to control everything to try to quantify everything and reduce it all to a set of numbers, whether it's climate change, whether it's human health or whatever, it hasn't served us and it will never serve us. But we love to think that if we can reduce something to numbers, that we can control everything. Well, I have bad news for everybody. When you get pregnant, that baby's coming out one way or the other. And there's a lot of unquantifiable parts of it. And the same goes for the end of life. And so what I saw, what I started seeing in my, my OBGYN training was that when something bad happens, we try to find the cause and then fix the cause of that bad thing happening. And in the process, just like with the billiards example, the balls are going everywhere. All those other colors are bouncing off the walls. And our only goal is getting that eight ball in the pocket. So what the, the way that this manifests in birth and in death is that we start getting our hands in there, trying to fix this thing over here, not realizing we're knocking over all this other stuff. It's like a, a, a bull in a china shop. And at end of life, the way that this manifests is we are not willing to accept that a person's going to die until we've tried everything and we've gone broke in the process, meaning you're going to be on a ventilator. You're going to be on medicines that artificially elevate your blood pressure. You're going to be on continuous dialysis meaning you're in multi-organ failure, your skin's breaking down, nature is winning, and we are not going to let you go. And only after we've done all those things are we willing to say, well, we tried everything, he's a goner, and then somebody dies, you know, lifelessly on a machine until their heart stops, you know, because somebody had to, quote, pull the plug. And then they feel guilty because they, they're the ones that signed yeah, them. I'm why he died. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I mean, so in my hospice work, the, you know, that type of conversation has really started to inform my OBGYN work because it's like, listen, we can go in and muck around to try to get that one thing to go the way that we think it should go in birth. In, in the meantime, we're, we're destroying everything else around us. So a nice example would be, we have to do a C-section right now or your baby's going to die. And the, the, the patient might say, well, I, I don't know if I really want to do that. What are the risks and benefits? The risks are your baby dies. So there it is. We found the, the, the source of our pain is a, is a dead baby. And of course, nobody wants that to happen. That's a, a tragic thing to happen in birth. But then we strap her down to an operating room table. We cover her face with a blue sheet. We separate her and from her baby as soon as the baby's out. We don't even put the baby on her chest often. Everybody's talking to her like she's some sort of object, like a car that has parts that need to be replaced. And in the meantime, this baby who was inside her belly this whole time, nine, 10 months, is now separate from, you sometimes can't even hear them crying because there's so much chatter in the room. Nobody's really engaged in the sacred process anymore. And how does that affect the maternal neonatal bonding? So, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about these generations of kids and our kids are in this generation 
that is going to have to kind of clean up a lot of the stuff we see in the world. Well, well, how is, how is that child's engagement with the world going to go for the next 90 years of their life if it started off with isolation and separation from their mother? Now, that's not to say we shouldn't be doing C-sections. The problem is that we fail to realize that there are more than just these objectifiable, quantifiable metrics. Yeah, and, and you know, to the point on that, like I was blown away. We had, we had Bear at Stanford. And at the time, it was awesome. Uh, in California, it would have been more expensive to do a home birth than to go to Stanford with our insurance. So it was like, let's just go do it at Stanford. It's our first birth. We'll make sure we're, you know, just in case, right? We're yeah. healthy people, but just in case. And we had a good doctor who really went to bat for us for a natural birth. She gave birth naturally. And uh, I mean, we're there at 10 p.m. at 11.02, right when the doctor showed up, she pushed him out. Super easy. Right Wolf on. was born at home with the midwife, mm -hmm. and I caught her, and it was wow. fucking like nothing else. Wow. When my sister had her firstborn, I was there, and it was at Kaiser, and uh, I was really like adamant, you know, about the C-section stuff. And when I talked to the people there, they said, "Well, we have the lowest C-section rate in the nation," and you already know this info. But I was like, "Yeah, totally. interesting. Why is that?" And it's because they have their own insurance. Uh huh. So they don't. You don't get to bill someone else for that. That's <laughs> yeah. on them yeah. to run that procedure. Yeah. That's yeah. why right. dun, 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 Let's save they have the lowest money. fucking rate, yeah. right? Yeah. So it, it, that was just like a fucking head scratcher. And she was very close to getting a C-section. I had a, it was a very intimate and bonding experience mm. for us. I'm right there with yeah. my brother-in-law and we were forcing her legs to her chest like a, like a leg press, <laughs> you know, and I'm just right there next to her ear saying, push, push, push. And they had the suction, you know, the suction guy on him and finally got him to come out. My little, my little Mason man, yeah, first nephew. Um, <laughs> so that was just a different thing there. But that, that procedure, there is money attached to that, yeah. right? Like that, that, that has to be a part of the conversation. Right. Antibiotics there's, are, can fucking save lives, you know, right. like if, you, if I have, I've had MRSA once. Um, That's nasty. you know, with a nasty, you know, I had got it in jujitsu only one time because my immune system was low. I was running, I was sick anyways. And then I got it. I could feel it in my bones. The moment it was on my skin, I could feel the nerves in my bones mm. aching from it. Mm. I needed antibiotics, big time antibiotics yeah. for that. Right. Yeah. I probably didn't need antibiotics every two months as a kid for any little fucking cold that I got, but I did get those antibiotics for probably 10 years. Same thing with Aubrey. They gave him fucking chewables. Oh, yeah. Right? So, yeah. so is it, to, you know, you can't paint with a broad brush and say like, hey, th these are fucking bad. They're not bad. They save lives. They're incredible. Totally. But are we overusing this? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not just C-sections or antibiotics. It's, it's fucking all the things, right? It's all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in the meantime, nobody within the medical system is trained or incentivized to provide lifestyle medicine, you know? So what, you know, so when I, when I hang out with you, like we live a pretty healthy life, you and I do, and there's just this way of being where you put nutrients in, you move, you sleep, you just take care of yourself. That's not the information that we're actually giving in the medical system. And we all know this. This is not like, I'm like pulling the curtain back. We all know this, but we don't have, we don't seem to have an answer to it because the insurance payer system doesn't really support that. It's really like, Hey. You as a doctor, you actually work for an insurance company. The insurance company says, we're going to pay you to do your job based on this fee schedule. That's how, that's how health insurance and, and the medical system works. If I were to say, well, listen, insurance company, here's what I've done. I talked to them about, you know, Paul checks six principles, you know, sleep, nutrition, diet, 
sleep, nutrition, thoughts, diet, breathing, thoughts, breathing, etc. Yeah, hydration. And well, this and they'll say, well, what else did you do? Well, that's all I did, because you know I think that we could support them to not need antibiotics or not need surgery or not need pharmaceuticals or hormonal contraception or whatever if we do these things. Well, we didn't contract with you to, to for you to do that. We contracted with you to do these other things. So even you know, the, the, the most open-minded doctors are doing that stuff on the side. I mean, they're doing it because they know that it works and they care about you as a person, but there's no incentive to do that. And so, um, so when, when, when I say, Hey, we're over utilizing medical resources, that's all that I mean. I don't mean that we shouldn't have hospitals, that we shouldn't have operating rooms because heaven forbid, you know, you're in a car accident you've got like a metal thing stuck in your head. You probably would want a surgeon to take care of that. Absolutely. We're not going to use lifestyle medicine for that. But are we yeah, utilizing I'm not going to pray it? away yeah. my labrum tear, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like Here, my... smoke this tobacco. And all, <laughs> just, you just need to get it smudging with some white sage <laughs> yeah. and your shoulder will heal up. Yeah, my, my shoulder was sliding out of the socket every time I'd throw a right-handed punch from uh, tearing it with a uh, barbell snatch. Bad exercise. I'm not a fan of it. Kettlebell snatch is much better. Um, and, and surgery fixed my shoulder, you know? And Well, it, it, it helped it. And then Kelly, Dr. Kelly Sturette's work allowed me to get my mobility back, right? So there's, there's so many references on what Western medicine is good for, but it should be painfully obvious yep. that it is not preventative medicine. That's exactly It never right. was, and it never will be. Right. And, and really where that argument comes to its head is in preventing disease mm. and virus outbreaks, right? right? Are we right. preventing something? Is preventative medicine necessary with a shot in the arm, right? Or do we boost <clears throat> our own health and immunity by being outside, by ta- listening to the last four doctors we'll ever need, yeah, and taking care of ourselves right. so that when we get a cold, we fucking survive it just like any other cold, and we move about our day after that, yeah. Like that—that's what this—that should this argument should boil down to that, right? It's yeah. not the narrative. It is not the narrative. I mean. Uh, Fauci, you know, after six months finally was like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, you want vitamin D3 and and zinc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's just common knowledge, right? No, no. Nobody on the news was talking about that. Nobody else has been talking about that. Nobody's been talking about liposomal vitamin C or intravenous vitamin C or any of these things until there's been such a loud uproar from intelligent, healthy people that know that shit works and there's enough data points that say right. if your vitamin D3 levels are high enough, you don't die. You just don't die. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's, hey, wait a minute. If I have enough vitamin D3, I won't die? Yeah. That's pretty fucking important. Yeah. Don't yeah. you think that should be like yeah. on every fucking news station known to man? Right. And that's enough to make you scratch your head. It should be. It, yeah, because it, it, you're right. You're right. And the reason that it should be forcing people to scratch their heads is not even aside from any sort of conspiracy theory. Why on earth is a person who hasn't exercised for the last five years, who probably gets most of their food processed, but you know, from one of those, those, uh, necessary, you know, companies that was allowed to stay open, like, I don't know, McDonald's or Arby's Arby's or something like that. They've been eating that way. They've been making excuses and there's a lot of good excuses for why you don't you know, you're not an Ironman distance triathlete or that you're not a, you know, jacked like you are. Like, there's good reason for that. But if you've been eating like crap, you aren't sleeping, you're just like, you know, medicating every night with alcohol and you're, and you're living that typical American life. And now you have a mask on, you're actually going to accuse me or anybody else who's not doing what's right. Well, hey, listen, I've been doing what's right 
for the last 36 years, I've been like super focused on how I move and what I eat and how, you know, what type of water I drink. Like I've been doing all of those things from the very, very beginning of my life. I don't know what it was, but something inspired me in high school to really start looking at food labels and everything else. Now that maybe there's some privilege there. Maybe there's some luxury, whatever. But the bottom line is I am not going to die of a viral illness, period. And you, neither are you and neither are most of the people we hang out with. And for somebody to come to me and say, like, shame on you. You're, you're not doing what's right. It's like, I am using less healthcare dollars than anybody else because I've actually been caring for myself. I haven't ever been to the doctor. I've never had to go. So when you say that I'm not doing the right thing, what do you actually mean by that? Because if you were healthier, then you wouldn't even have to worry about a viral illness. But unfortunately, you know, when 40 to 50% of our nation is obese, and then the guy from Sweet Greens over in LA, I don't know if you saw this story, Mm-mm. but he came out and spoke about it. He was like, hey, um, you know, has anybody noticed that most of the people that are dying from this are overweight, right? Like we, we have this idea that obesity, you know, must be that you can't fit into your, you know, a plane seat or something like that. But our definition of obesity in the United States is way off the charts. We have these parameters that are like, hey, if you were in most European countries, you would be considered obese. But because you're in the United States, you're normal weight, you know? So Sweetgreens, this guy, the, the CEO, I think he was, he had said something on Facebook or Twitter and was like, hey, has anybody noticed that, that a lot of- Cancel, ob- cancel, <laughs> cancel. All these obese people <laughs> seem to be the ones getting sick. And somebody was like, you're just saying that because you're peddling your product. And he's like, I, I mean, I'm putting words now into his mouth, but I would be thinking like, yeah, I'm peddling my product. Like I have a company that makes salads and makes delicious, healthy food for people. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm profiteering off of people wanting to get healthier, right? And that's no different from, I think, the system saying, hey, you need to get this, this you know, experimental gene therapy injected into you in order, to, in order to do the right thing, right? Forgetting all about the quercetin, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, melatonin, et cetera, that, that does help boost your immune system, let alone sleep and exercise and hydration, and all the things we talked about from, from, you know, from checks principles. So, so it should, it should, should force people to, to think like, Hey, when we're not promoting the things that actually will prevent this from happening again, I start to like really back off and say like, well, wait a second, <laughs> you know, what, what do we really want for our society? Do we want to be getting a booster shot every year? Like maybe if it was something that caused your, your fucking head to fall off, maybe I would get a vaccine for that, you know, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something that is actually very easily preventable through some very, non-rocket science, not even expensive means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Paul Celadino, the carnivore doc, he's been on this podcast a couple of times. And early on, I think it was April, uh, it was before he moved here. He was still at San Diego, April of 2020. So pretty early on during the, the, the fuckery, he, he came on and he was talking about, <laughs> you know, the, just the different, the, 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 the preliminary preliminary indications around metabolic dysfunction and things like that. Like who was getting hit hardest. Right. And um, I think that same month I had um, a couple of people on from NutriSense. There's no affiliation with them, but they do um, uh, the back of the arm guy. What's that called? Oh, like a continuous glucose monitor. Yes. Yeah. CGM. CGM. So they got, they got really cost effective CGMs. And so I ran, uh, I ran a month with that or two months and then I had them on and discussed everything. Right. Because I have the genetics for, type two diabetes yeah. and I have the genetics for obesity. 
And I laugh at that because like I've been telling people for fucking four years on this podcast, your genetics, whatever 23andMe tells you or Dr. Ron or Patrick or any of these people, that is not your death sentence. Yeah, that's right. That is what that's could right. potentially happen if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah. That, that, that's not how that's right. health expresses. That's how disease expresses, that's right. That's right. right? And um, anyways, I learned a whole lot about that, right? But one of the things that they were saying, because they, they were, you know, mid- lockdown as well was they had a ton they had thousands mm. of n equals ones on people and they could see who was getting hit hardest mm. and and this is all verified now of course because we've been in this 20 21 months something like that but um those who had the least metabolic flexibility meaning they were pre-diabetic mm. and not taking care of themselves not not using doctor movement or doctor diet or doctor sleep if they're missing on those three doctors they got hit the hardest mm. And people who had the most metabolic flexibility, they, they were in shape, they were you know, active, or they took care of themselves and maybe paid attention to how many carbs That's they were right. putting in their body or processed foods, they did the best. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was great, because like, as I, I'm aware, I mean, I don't know all my listeners, I get certain stats, right? Like, oh, 70% male, and they're between these age groups. And then you know, the women write to me, they're like, 70% male, I listen, and all, the, all my girls listen, that kind of thing. You know? So like, I get age groups and whatnot, but I don't get health. Mm -hmm. all the people that come up to me and tell me they listen to the podcast and love it, they're usually fucking fit people, yeah. men and women, yeah. right? Yeah. That said, for those that are listening that are not as fit as they could be, and you look in the mirror and you know it, the fucking news that they dropped was you can change metabolic function within two weeks of paying attention to that <sighs> and have a, a exponential greater chance of surviving any of these core issues that we have from, from a, an annual basis, right? Like it's, this isn't going Absolutely. away, Absolutely. you know, it's going to get easier yeah. because viruses do get easier. Right. But at the same point in time, it's just that to say, like, if you, if you put a little bit in, even if you're not down to 5% body fat, you will become healthier on the inside very fucking quickly. Yeah. Very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Right. Nature responds and we are nature. Nature responds rapidly with a little investment into it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and if to go back to our conversation around the the billiards table, right? You could start injecting hormones, right? Insulin. You could start doing those things and yes, it will get you back to those quantifiable numbers. But if you do the lifestyle change stuff, you you're getting a logarithmic return on your investment as opposed to just becoming dependent on pills and injections and all that. And so, um I mean, this is where it's at right now. Anybody who's listening, you have to start taking care of yourself. And, and you know, when, when the whole pandemic thing happened, I, I returned to work after paternity leave and there were like Humvees out in front of the hospital. There was National Guard everywhere. Like people were really fucking freaked out. And the way that it was being presented, especially early on was like- What was the timeline on this? That was probably- you know, March, April, April, so right in the thick of it. Oh man, okay. like right in the beginning. So we, we didn't know what, what this thing was, you know? And, uh, there were know. still projections of it being the second coming of the Spanish flu. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So <laughs> it didn't happen that way. Like, yeah, we didn't lose <clears throat> a giant swath of our population after all. But the, uh, I remember thinking like, man, this might be really this might be really hard. Like this, this is scary, you know? So I had my N95 mask or whatever mask they gave me at the time. And I remember after a couple of days, I remember, uh, <laughs> I was like taking my clothes off outside and coming in and showering to like protect the baby. I mean, like, you know, you just, we didn't know. So, and having been raised in the conventional model was like, well, let's take this seriously. Let's, let's make sure we're doing our thing. And so then I realized that at work, 
I was snacking and I wasn't washing my hands. <laughs> so like everybody's like walking around in hazmat suits and there I am like snarfing like cashews and like eating plums, you know? And, uh, and I was like, Oh no, I didn't wash my hands. Like, well, well, let's see what happens, you know? And of course nothing happened. Right. Eventually we did, we did get, you know, the, the COVID thing, but, uh, you know, in around Thanksgiving and it was a couple of bad days, you know, like when you get a viral illness and we got better and here we are. So I remember early on thinking though, it's amazing that in the media, that people aren't, you know, taking a step back and saying, man, the United States is like getting fucked by this thing. You know, like even if all the numbers were accurate, it should really have forced us to start saying early on, what can we do going forward that will invest in the infrastructure of our food systems and clean water and clean air and making sure people have access and this sort of agency to go into it, you know, just to work out once in a while. You know, we're not talking like you have, don't have to join the on it gym and start kicking ass, like just carrying your groceries to your car or taking the steps instead of the elevator for one flight a day. I mean, doing something more than just sitting on your ass all day. Why hasn't that been a big part of the conversation, which should make us all sort of turn, you know, turn an ear to those who are saying, like, I've been telling you this for years, like people like Paul, like our, like our friend Paul Check, I've been telling you this for years, like your health is not going to get better by just turning to the medical system whenever you need a pill. And now it's turning to the medical system whenever you even have a cough, you go to the hospital and they quarantine you and isolate you, whether you're 95 or 25, oftentimes pop you on a ventilator, oftentimes load you up with IV fluids and all this other stuff that throws your electrolytes out of balance. And we're back to the billiards table, you know? So one, one thing that, um, so that's like a big message that came very, became very, very clear to me. And I was like, wait a second, you guys are talking about all of the things to fix this thing, except for those things that actually help keep the soil healthy, you know? And even if, by the way, you had that nasty MRSA infection, even if I gave you a bunch of antibiotics, oftentimes it doesn't fix the, the, it doesn't fix the underlying problem, which is a metabolic derangement. You know, like your body got sick because your immune system was out of whack because your pancreas and your adrenals were going hardcore all day long. Yeah, I was sick when I got MRSA. Yeah, that's, that's what right, I was trying to point right, out. I was right. actually that, sick. That's the consequence of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So so if you hadn't looked at that and said, oh man, this is an indication that I'm not taking care of myself. <laughs> Our boy. <laughs> He's the, calling the, you. The checkster. Right Paul on. Check, giving you a ring. I'll call him after. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that was a, that's a, that was a big part of the conversation from early on and nobody wanted to hear it. Everybody just wanted to know what's the magic silver bullet, you know, what's the silver bullet that's going to get me through birth. What's the silver bullet that's going to let me live forever. And what's the silver bullet that's going to help fix this thing that's happening right now. And you turn to the sky and you pray for the answer when the answer is really on the perimeter of your grocery store. And it's in the stairwell at, at your job. I mean, like it's really not that hard. But nobody's talking about that. And that's, that's really troubling. So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they dive into that in pandemic indoctrination, mm -hmm. you know, a little further on the why. David Icke obviously has been writing books for 30 years on what the why is. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> even though I'm, <clears throat> I have yet to confirm <clears throat> the presence of uh, nefarious extraterrestrials, <laughs> I mean, like just about everything else that guy has fucking said has come to fruition. And that, that is, it's not frightening in the sense of, um, I mean, it's frightening in the sense that he's been fucking right. Yeah. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. The problem is he has been right. 
right. with a lot of it, you know, and uh, Agenda 2030, which we'll link to in the show notes, I did for the uh, the episode I did with Paul Check because I think he was the one that had shared it with us. Um, is that that unmasked? Yeah, unmasked. Yeah, yeah. That is that is the best documentary I've seen since Indoctrination, mm. and it's the most up to date. And really dives into, you know, the conspiracy, the conspiring that is going down to create a one world government and, um, and take it into transhumanism. You know, yeah. we don't even have to, we can take it there. We don't have to take it there on this podcast. I'd love to dive in more um, really with what these core issues are, because I'm going to do a solo pa- podcast when I've been talking about that for probably six months. If you've been waiting for it, there's good reason. The reason I haven't delivered one is because I, I know people who have lost their podcasts. Uh, wow. A good friend of mine who has sent me a fuck ton of beautiful information, not beautiful, but hard, but true information about all this stuff, got his podcast ripped down from iTunes and Spotify. And, totally uh, deplatformed. His yeah. Whole yeah. Now we've heard about this, of course, the whole way yeah. through with YouTube, right? Right. And even Alex Jones, another guy, been spot on through a lot of this stuff. Um he, he talked about how there was a, a think tank, one of the largest think tanks. The headline read, uh, YouTube censors one of the largest think tanks. Guess who the think tank was? I don't know. It was six doctors at Stanford Ugh. that had reviewed the cases in Santa Clara County and said that we have grossly overestimated the potential of this. Yeah. yeah. Right? Immediately pulled their video. Shot John, and recorded at Stanford. I wonder if John Ioannidis was in that, in that group. He's Maybe. a Stanford epidemiologist. Yeah. 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 So that, that's just like, like the, the yeah. we knew this with YouTube, right? Which is owned by Google. We'll also link to this documentary, The Creepy Line. Have you seen that one? No, but you just mentioned it in your recording with Paul and I wrote it. I have it saved for the, for the plane ride. Home, yeah. Paul. So. so Paul had Dr. Joe Mercola on who I've been following for a fucking decade Oh yeah. on preventative health. Yeah. You know, just the guy, a preventative yeah. health guy. He's one of the reasons we didn't give jabs to our kids. Um, and not just what he said, but the books he's re- referenced, like Dissolving Illusions by Dr. Susan Humphreys yep. and many others. Yeah, that that was a great book. By ph- phenomenal. Susan Humphreys. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that I've trusted and listened to for years. He's been a speaker at Paleo FX. I've sat on panels with him. Like, he is an amazing guy. Yeah. And he's been right about all this shit. His book, uh, The Truth Behind COVID-19, mm-hmm. Is a phenomenal book. I'm surprised it's still I can't available. It's still available on Amazon. <laughs> I can't believe it's still available. But he, uh, Mercola, got into it with this guy. Um, they had done a podcast together, and then Paul had Mercola on. Mercola brought this up, the Creepy Line documentary, which is all about Google, mm. and it's mind blowing. Um, it's absolutely mind blowing what they've been caught for, but it's just a slap on the wrist every yeah. time, right? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. they they do the servers for the CIA, they do the servers for our entire government. They have, yeah. I mean, they're to, to say they're not above the law, like they literally can write the law, right? Like that that level of power when you're that wealthy, yeah, yeah. yeah. So YouTube censorship, I mean, it's no surprise to me to see like, yeah, curated content from Google. YouTube is is a censorship factory, and you know, I, I was fine. I was like, fuck it. Like, we're not even doing video for this podcast. I'm like, I don't need to put everything on YouTube. But believe it or not, my podcast with Mickey Willis is still up there. Wow. I have no idea. It's mean, probably because there's not enough viewers. But, yeah. um, you know, just on that stuff, it's it's well worth to watch that because you understand, like, how deep does this rabbit hole go? Oh, yeah. It's fucking deep. It goes really right? deep. Yeah. It goes really deep. And I think that... um that's, that's, you know, been a fairly big reason why I've been kind of waiting because the solo cast that I launch will likely be, it could be my very last podcast that I do mainstream. And then it's all going to be in private shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, 
But that will dive into more of the deep state stuff, what I've come to understand there, and references on everything. So that is coming. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to dive into with you, where, you know, in addition to the birthing process and, and kind of where we've gone awry is, you know, we do handle both of these things, uh, birth and death, in a way that is so sterile and, oh, and yeah. procedure-based, and there's no ceremony aspect of it. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to friends, um, Caitlin, who's recently a coach, not recently, she is a coach in fit for service with me and one of my best friends whose father recently passed away last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had so much come up for her around like wanting to save her dad, you know, and then having to let him go and then realizing, you know, with medicine journeys afterwards, like my job was just to be there with him. Yeah. That was it, mm-hmm. you know, like to walk him through that. And that was my medicine too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think if, unless you're in a position where you get to partake with medicine journeys and you have that level, level of awareness going into it, um, that that's, that's not standard, yeah, right? Yeah. That's definitely not standard. But we've, I think, you know, even bigger than that, we've been divorced from that process. You know, talk about the death process, talk about hospice, talk about like the, the what it used to be, you know, where we would oh, yeah. be with our, our family member who had passed away for days, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I love conversations around ritual because we we actually really lack a lot of ritual in our lives. You know, we we don't really have the storytelling component that I think is so important. And I'm so grateful to have been with so much death in order to to just sit there and hold space and think like, man, if this was me at the end of my life, how would I want this to go? And um, <laughs> the the sort of modern day ritual is, you know, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but, you know, a person passes away in their home. Ideally, they're with hospice. This is the ideal situation. They pass away at home. And then a family member is like, oh my gosh, they passed away. Let's call the, call them the mortuary. We got to get the paperwork done. We have the funeral stuff in order. And as quickly as possible, we get that like dead body out of the house in a body bag that's black, opaque. And we just can like get rid of the remains well, what if we took a step back and, well, let's, let's actually show the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is I want you to do everything at all costs to keep me alive, right? And we end up in that scenario that I, I illustrated before where you're on machines, you've got your l- lungs, kidneys, and heart are all shot. So we've got machines replacing those functions, which are necessary functions. And then eventually your liver goes and eventually your skin breaks down and you die of an infection. That's, that's how it goes. Nature kind of wins the bacteria start to eat you from the so inside did you out. watch the green knight no i haven't seen okay. it yet ah, all I'm right sorry. you gotta I'm fucking sorry. watch it i will I not do. spoil it for anybody okay if you go to voodoo you can watch it at your home uh it's not in theaters anymore but you can watch it for you know a, a 20 bucks or something yeah it's there's a fucking poem there's a monologue that this lady drops in there about how green always wins. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's that's, like nature. That's exactly nature right. always wins, right? So sorry, I don't right. want to derail you, but highly, highly, highly recommend. It's a must-watch for everybody. Yeah, green night. It, well, that that brings me up. I, a friend of mine, Jacob Edgard, he's a he's a physician in uh, Salt Lake City, and very much in, in line with uh, with what we you know what we all kind of stand for. We were sitting out on our we took an RV trip last year, my wife and I, and stopped at his house with his wife and his baby, and he and I were sitting and drinking coffee on the on the back porch, like one morning. And he like kind of out of the clear blue was like, you know what? I just, it just occurred to me. We all die of infection. Like all those bacteria that are crawling all over your fruit. Like when the fruit gets picked and it sits there, the bacteria starts eating it because it's dead. It doesn't eat the trees because they're still alive. But when you make it lumber, it molds up and it rots out, you know, 
And the same happens with us. Like when we have died, when that prana, the chi starts to leach out of our body and we start to straddle that threshold, it's an infection that actually wins. The bacteria and the fungi and everything just consumes you. And in the hospital setting, you might just be stuck on machines indefinitely until somebody says, you know, quote, pull the plug. But you were, you were dying already. Like you were a dying person who's already got their foot out the door. And all we need you to do as the caretaker is to let go. Like, like allow that tether to snap and allow this person to take that next step. And, um, and what, what ubiquitously happens is we see the dead body as this gross thing. Like it's not life, it's lifeless now. And so let's get it out of the way as quickly as possible. What I would like to imagine, I actually want to open up a birth and death retreat center. Not a birth center, not a hospice center, but a birth and death retreat center where we can do a lot of workshops, we can grow food, we can have animals running around. And these two incredible rites of passage are going to take place simultaneously. I even imagine it kind of in a giant yin-yang pattern. Like if you look at it over, overhead, yeah. aerially. and we do all of those things. We have some medicinal journeys. We can incorporate some, you know, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy for existential pain, perhaps even in the birth process. This is probably going to be down the road, of course, because we've got laws in place that are completely silly around these things. But um, if we could get those two things together, people would see how related these two events are, you know, in the ways that I described earlier. But what I would love to do, like if I die, Kyle, here's how I want you to take care of me. I want people to be surrounding me and they can say kind words. They can do whatever, but I want people to wash me. I want people to love me and I want people to hold space for what just happened. My 90 years in the earth school. I want it to, I want it to be a celebration of life and for us to embrace and celebrate the fact that I've now transitioned on because it's not something to be afraid of. You and I have been there. We don't need to worry about what happens afterwards. But we also should embrace where we are, you know, why we are here. It's not nihilistic. Like we need to care for our bodies in order to fully embrace the, the experience of being a, 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 a conscious human being. But at the very end of life, it's not the end of the road. This is a moment of celebration. Like you've completed your journey here. Let's care for our loved one's body to reflect that. Let's not pop them into an opaque black body bag and send them to some cold refrigerator. Pump them full of formaldehyde. Pump them full of shit. Yeah. Like. Let's say, let's embrace the process of nature winning, like you said. Um, when I when I'm when I'm dead, I want to be honored. I want people to love me. I want people to continue to say nice things about me, and I hope people remember good things about me. But then I want to be buried in the ground, not in a lead-lined casket, not in a concrete tomb, because to do that is a deliberate affront to the fact that we are a part of our biosphere, and for too long. For too, too long, we have seen, and this actually gets into the COVID thing as well, we have seen ourselves as separate from, and we are actually, like, that's what Charles Eisenstein calls the story of separation. The story of interbeing is the world that I would love to see emerge, where we reconnect with our natural state. That doesn't mean we're running around in the woods, spearing animals barefoot, or maybe it does. I mean, possibly that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> we'll see if the grip goes down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Do we, do we move forward with technology or without? Yeah. Either way, there's going to be a next yeah. stage of human, human consciousness. That's right. Here. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to reconnect with the soil and to really be able to plant ourselves firmly in this state of, of co-creation with Gaia herself. That's where this is at. And I think the way that we see birth as a medical procedure and a pathology is a problem. And I think the way that we treat death as a medical pathology and a problem. 
like those two things, if we could change that, it's going to require a paradigm shift in our society that we embrace by, by changing it into this new story of interbeing. Really at the, at the, at the, um, the root of that is that we, we reimagine ourselves not as siloed off from nature, as if nature's coming out to get us, but embracing everything that nature has to offer. And it's not really something we have a choice about. It's really something that has to happen. Like there's no way forward without us getting back to the root of who we are, which are mammals that are in constant communication with our environment. Um, and anything that we put into our bodies, this disrupts that, like formaldehyde. Like that needs to be a part of the old story. We need to move on from that. So I want to be buried nude in the ground and I want the worms and the bacteria and the fungi to repurpose me because that's what this is all about. Like you don't get your body afterwards. That wasn't part of the deal, Kyle. When you die, you don't get a chance. You don't get a choice as to whether you die. You get a choice as to how this goes, you know, on the, on the, those final last weeks. And then what comes after that? I think that, I think that in order to, to reimagine dying, I think we really, really, really need to acknowledge how far removed we've become, you know? And I think that, that Christian theology, I think has played a big part of that. I think that the fact that we have so much technology that has disconnected us from the outdoors, like even just being on your phone on a computer all day, you'd mentioned earlier, you want to take bear out into nature. Like that's like, when you see a kid out in nature, everything is alive. Everything is like like this is the greatest playground ever because there's textures, there's dirt. Like we can actually be connected again. And there's a reason that we feel reverence when we're in, when, when we're out in, in nature, whether you're, you don't even need to do psychedelics or anything. You go out and like lean on a tree and just sit there in silence in the woods. And there's an important something there. It's almost like the elemental beings that Steiner talks about are like, they're like, Welcome back, bro. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we missed you. Yeah, we missed you. We missed you. And so, you're, you're not alone there, right? Yeah. Like even if you go off for a walk by yourself, there's a, a Frisbee golf. We live in a suburb, you know, here in the city of Austin. And thank God we get to move, uh, build the dream home on 120 acres and be caretakers of the land. We're, we're absolutely thrilled for that. And I'll have more on that in the future as we, we see that coming into being. But um there's just a frisbee golf course for you know this this met center that's behind us all these industrial uh buildings and so they they took you know something next to the green belt that could never be built on and they made it a frisbee golf course and it's awesome that's all awesome, the dogs yeah. run off leash there i've been going there as before they started building on it you know we, we got our house two years ago here and watched all these things come into being but we we call it the secret passage because there's a place you know a secret Get a, you know, uh, a gate that you go, no, no gate, but there's a secret walkway where you cross this uh, little little creek to get to this place. And then there's the forbidden forest, mm. which is a forest that they left fully standing. They didn't take out any trees. And there's cardinals, there's um, Cooper's hawks. Oh, wow. There's egrets, there's all sorts of shit. There's giant ponds for, for uh, you know, cleaning as, a, you know, the stages of cleaning with different plants and and toads and, and fish to help the water before it goes back into the Colorado. And it's, it's awesome. Like mm. you does, we can be there alone, but you're not alone. And that's been such a key pain point for so many people through all of this is the feeling of being alone. Mm-hmm. It really, really is that loneliness. But when you connect to something greater than yourself, and they talk about this in fucking AA, they talk about this in a lot of things. It doesn't have to be an idea. Mm-hmm. It can be something tangible. Mm-hmm. And nature is tangible. That's right. So when you're there and the birds are talking to you, 
And the little lizard comes over and looks at you and you know it's looking at you and you're looking at it and you're like, hey, buddy, I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. And he just hangs out with you for a minute before scurrying off. Like that is a connection point. Yeah. And the further we get removed from those connection points, the harder it gets. That's right. Right? Hey, right. lock yourself in your house and watch the shitty news that's run by nine corporations own every fucking news station, every cable TV channel, every movie company, every music company. Nine. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what you just elaborated so beautifully, you know, it, it, it harkens back to this, I, this notion that we can control everything. If you lock yourself away in these four walls and you have ample supply of toilet paper and hand sanitizer and like high calorie processed peanut butter, Hey, you can survive. Right. But is that what we need to be asking ourselves is yes. Yes. If we isolate ourselves, perhaps Probably not. Perhaps there's a chance that you won't get this virus, which by the way, has like a less than 1% mortality for even older comorbid morbid people. But if that's the, the, gamble, uh, the, 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 the gamble that we're willing to take, we have to consider, again, the billiards table. What is the cost of isolating yourself and never hugging your parents, never having sex with a beautiful stranger, never... Um, you know, grabbing a piece of fresh fruit off a tree and eating it because you haven't sanitized. I mean, like, just think of the ways that we try to, like the things that would be, would be lost if our life just ended up in isolation, children not seeing people with, you know, seeing their faces. I mean, how much communication is nonverbal? It's like 90%. So for you just to see my eyeballs through a face shield and my mask is covering my face and it's muffling my, my voice, but also taking away all of the expression I use with my mouth and my cheeks and, and my eyes, is that the world we want to live in? Is that the world we want our kids to be growing up in? I absolutely say no. Other people might disagree, but this, this, like, these systems of control have never served us. They've never taken us to these green pastures that, that it's promised. So why continue doing this? We need some course correction here. And we need to realize that, like you said, being out in nature, getting fresh air, getting sunlight. Don't slather that like nanoparticulate sunscreen all over all the time. Go out in the sun. It's good for you. Take your shoes off. Walk in the dirt. Dirt's good for you. And go and hug your neighbor. Go and take care of people. Like that's really what we need. We need to be leading with love and compassion. But instead, we have this story of isolation that hasn't served us, but people just are too afraid to, to distance themselves from that story because who knows what the next version will look like. I have bad news. The old story didn't look great either. You know, remember when Joe Biden was running, it was like, um, status quo Joe. <laughs> I was telling everybody, it was like, I'm like super apolitical, but in this case, it was like, what was the status quo that we want to get back to again? Like, how, what was that time in, in, our, in our human, you know, timeline? Where is it that we want to go back to? Because I don't really, I don't know if I remember any time, at least in the past several generations, where I was like, that's the world I want to live in. It's been more and more monopolized, right? Like you said, these nine corporations, like it's, that's all over the place. And we're becoming more and more isolated from the people that make our life worth living. So where is it that we want to go back to? Or do we now want to take the opportunity to co-create some vision for the future together? That's where I'm at. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, we're young enough to do this. So, um, yeah. Yeah. With that, that, that's reminding me, you know, in the co-creation, that's reminding me of the fourth turning. I had Ben Stewart on the podcast a while back who 
really spoke at length about that. He had an excellent podcast with Paul Check talking about the fourth turning as well. Yeah, Ben's a and great these, guy. These 20-year um, periods that follow an 80-year cycle of the high, the awakening, the unraveling, mm-hmm. and the crisis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the last... Uh, high came after World War II. Then the awakening was the psychedelic 60s. We were born in the in the unraveling period, and of course, like everything mirrors wow. us, right? So yeah. grunge, grunge rock like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, gangster rap, all of it starts to get darker. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, archetypically, that is the hero. So most of my listeners, you're a fucking hero. That's that's the archetype you carry. Right. If there is acquiescence to what this plan is is going towards then it does turn into Brave New World. It does turn into the New World Order or in modern terminology, the Great Reset. Yeah. It's what Klaus Schwab fucking wants, what Bill Gates, Fauci, Newsom, all the, the, the shady characters <laughs> on screen right now are pushing for a one world government. You don't own anything. You're and you, you'll rent. Yeah, yeah, you'll be happy. Drones will deliver it's whatever fucking, you need. Yeah. Well, so let's link to, I want to, Jose, please link to that also. For people who haven't seen what The Great Reset is all about, they have an ad campaign for it that is- It's so twisted. It's fucking weird, man. Yeah. It's really weird. It's so weird. I, one thing that's been helping me is to try to see, like, how do we backtrack from the 2030 plan? Yeah. Um, because, you know, this, this, as I talked about with Ben, um, crisis will, and it started in 2008 with the housing crisis, which was manufactured. Watch Inside Job if you haven't seen it. 2028 is when that 20-year period will end, give or, give or take a few years. Hence the push for 2030. And the why, you know, it's really easy to follow the money, but the why behind all this is crypto. It's, it's the fact that you basically can, you, you can start economies that are not dependent upon anyone else that can't be tracked. And with that, you can't be taxed. Yeah. So this is the last hoorah. Instead of a decentralized banking, you create what? A centralized cryptocurrency that is tied directly to your RFID that's under the skin. And there is no, <laughs> there is no getting away from that. They put enough satellites in the sky and enough cameras, and that's what 5G is all about. 5G is the facial techni- uh, recognition technology, and that's what this is going towards. Smart grids already exist. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. that, that's one path forward. And as the heroes, we have the opportunity to create a different model. And the different model, for those of us that have been connected to the earth through plant medicine journeys or meditation or just fucking soul wanders out in nature, right? Mm -hmm. No drugs necessary. Um, I think the message that keeps coming through for me is some amalgamation of the two. Mm -hmm. It's not becoming Amish, you know, and and for sure off-grid is going to be important, but- Right, and forsaking all technology. Yeah, it's not, we don't, you wouldn't even be hearing this right now without right, technology. Right. There are blessings in that, right? Just as there are blessings with an MRI. There are blessings with a shoulder surgery so I can use my arm again. All those things have their blessing. And like guns, they can be used correctly or incorrectly. So, uh, But this, this thing that keeps coming up for me in my ceremonies is really a return to the sacred hoop. It's a return to the knowing that we're interconnected with all things. Mm. And not just the awareness of that, but co-creation with that in mind, right? Yeah. How does it, how does what I plant in the ground affect all things positively? That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. And really thinking about that biodynamic farming, um, the biggest little farm, like I've watched it three times. I cry every it's fucking amazing. time. Dude, it's, <laughs> it's so, so good. good. It's so good. <laughs> and, um, 
you know, really wanting to be a part of that. And if you can't, like if you, if you're stuck in an apartment and you can't connecting, yeah, get outside the city for 20, you know, 20 minute drive, 30 minute drive. Who are the farmers? Yeah. Who are the people that are doing yeah. this? How much time can you spend on their land helping out? So if you're not allowed in fucking Whole Foods because you don't have a Vax Pass, you can still feed your family. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. this, I live in Texas and, and I, 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 this may be the last stomping grounds for the fight that's coming. But in New York City and LA and San Francisco, this is already happening. It's not just happening in Europe. Yeah, people have rolled over. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people have, and a lot of people haven't, right? They, they, I, I mean, I, I don't know if these reports are correct or not, but I've, I've read that 40 to 60% of sales are down in New York city and mm. many businesses, uh, bars that I've been in before in travel, my travels there, uh, Irish pubs and things like that. People are just protesting by having a drink outside or yeah. eating outside it yeah. and saying, fuck you, we're not going to do this. Right. So there's a, and that's, that's something that people forget they're like, fuck the coast, fuck New York, fuck California. Like I'm from the Silicon Valley born and raised. There are a lot of people who have their head on straight in both those states and both those coasts and all over the fucking world, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right? It's it's but the what we do now, right? That's what I want to get into. You've you've been you know one of the things that made me curious about you when I was first introduced to you from Paul was the fact that you had studied Steiner. Yeah, the fact that you did want to have you know it's not enough for you to want to create your dream model of care at birth and at death, but also to be in harmony with nature to yeah. bring in the animals and the plants. Talk about what you want to do going forward it's probably very similar to what you want to do on 120 acres of land. I'm, I live in Louisville, Kentucky and there's some land, you know, you could buy land there dirt cheap. It's not like Austin. It's, I mean, dirt cheap. It's probably 150 K for, you know, 7,500 acres. You wow. Know? And it's like all hunting land with a fishery on board. And like, it, you know, you're remote, you're up at, at elevation. So you're not getting run off from, you know, Roundup fields and, and this and that. Or all um, the aluminum coming down. All the, from the aluminum sky. from the chemtrails and <laughs> shit. Yeah. We just had Dane Wigington on. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, you haven't released that one yet, right? No, not yet. Yeah. I saw the, the geoengineering film and it blew my mind. I was like, I knew that there was something to this, but uh, when you hear it clarified like that, it's like shit. Yeah. I've, I've been looking at those, those streamers across the sky since I was a kid. Like, the hell is that up there? <laughs> but the sky is different too. Like yeah. if you've paid attention where yeah. I was outdoors every day as a kid, I'm out, people are like, you're so tan. And they say the same thing about bear. I'm like, yeah, go outside. Go outside. <laughs> I'm, fucking, I'm outside every day. It's unavoidable yeah. that I get tan. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the sky is different. It's, it's, there's a grayness to it, mm -hmm. right? That it's dimming. not as blue as it used yeah. to be, right? And that is the dimming. Yeah. And it's not just, this shit is not fantasy land. Like the Bill Gates, what he's talking about with blocking out the sun as an idea of something they're going to do in the future. And all of us say, Hey, no, we got to stop that. This shit's happening right now. Oh, yeah. And it's been happening since the 1950s. Right. Yeah. So sorry, that, that's another tangent. No, no. <laughs> so I have to write this shit down. I'm going <laughs> to lay this solo cast out like check does yeah. where however long I need it's there, but there are bullet points and I'm sticking to the script yeah. so I don't go off key. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you and I could bounce these things around for days. Like mm -hmm. there is so much that I would like to see change in the world. Um, it, you know, the, the, to like kind of the synopsis of what I'd like to do is to be able to care for people on my own terms, not based on what an insurance company says I can or can't do, not based on some employer, you know, employer's policy that I don't agree with. I was fired, by the way, for not having my mask on properly while talking to a dying 95-year-old patient. So, you know, I don't want to be put in a position any longer as an OBGYN, as a 
as a hospice physician or a lifestyle medicine doc for taking care of everybody in between, I don't want to put myself in a position where somebody else is going to tell me what's best for my patient that is not congruent with my experience. So I want to create a space where I can take care of people from cradle to grave, so to speak, um, and bring in, you know, people that are going to host all sorts of workshops and everything else on a piece of property that is relatively free of all the shit that's floating around in the, you know, the, all the EMF, all of the, the crap that's floating around in our air and that's polluting our waters and our soils for that matter. I would love to model on a small scale. It's going to be a microcosm, but on a small scale, how can people live in community? Um, I'll be the doctor. Like, you need a doctor? I'm the doctor. <laughs> but how can we co-create co 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 a space in which cooperativity is actually, or cooperation is, is actually valued over, um, you know, uh, what would you call it? Right now in our space, basically anybody, the more resources you have, the more power, the more value you have. What I would care, what I care less about with regards to the, to the resources a person has is how are we connecting and how are you taking care of my family and how am I taking care of your family? And if we can all just find some way to balance that out, we, essent we essentially nullify the system, these systems of control and power. Because if we're in resonance with our, with our, our environment, and I mean literally our soil, our trees, the butterflies, the the foxes, if we're all kind of in this co-creative space together, it really opens up the possibilities for us to put all of these, this sort of human capital behind creating a better world, as opposed to siloing off all of our ammunition. You know what I mean? So, so what I'm getting at here is it's sort of like a burning man. You know, if everybody throws all of their resources into the middle and we all know, Hey, listen, we've all got everybody's back here in our hundred person camp. Your needs are completely taken care of, but there's not one person who's from like a socialist standpoint who has all the resources and divvying them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You'll so, rent everything. Yeah, meaning yeah. like, who are we renting from? That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Bill Gates? Yeah. Fuck no. No, that no, no. Happening. I mean, like we all know that private property is not even a real thing. Like you don't own your house. Your, the bank owns your house. And if you don't pay property tax, the government comes and takes it. So I'm kind of on that path for the sovereign sort of status correction as well, becoming mm -hmm. a sovereign citizen and all that. That's going to be down the road. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, it's really a matter of, of relinquishing control over my environment and over the sort of creative prowess of my neighbors and my community in order to create a space where it's not only healthy and it's actually sacred again to give birth or to die, but it's also just like that is just how life is and birth and death just being an important part of being human. So that's what I imagine. I'm curious yeah. what, I'm curious what you imagine. Like Absolutely how would you change brother. that? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things that we're, um, Aubrey had this impotence because he wants to start a church Yeah, and he wants to do a Wachuma church and we, that it is done, you know, it is yeah. done. The, yeah. the property is closed and, uh, all the, the legal documents are signed and it's formed and it's, it's ready to go. You know, all it needs is a caretaker. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been looking in a different, it feels like I've needed a bachelor's in um, sustainable building, you know, biodynamic farm, yeah. all the things, right? You sure. know, and, and, but that, that in and of itself, you know, one of the last journeys that I had on Equinox really was a, a, a very firm remembrance of I have what it takes. Yeah. And I'm always provided for, you know, and, and, and I don't just mean financially. I mean, like, I'm connected to the expert that That's I right. need to help make this thing 
to birth this yeah. in the way that I want to and create the Garden of Eden. Yeah. You know, but um, I think church law, different things like that will, will be super important when it comes to what we're doing on the land. But also, you know, it's not far off from what you were saying in, in that it's not meant to be done alone. Right. Even kids, like it has been so, reading Sex at Dawn and some of these other books. Um, when you have kids, you know, and, and they say like, oh, it takes a village. Like that is such a gross understatement oh, yeah. of, of how we are meant to be in community, how we are meant to be, you know, not isolated from oneself. When we were kids, I'm not sure if you had this similar upbringing, but I remember my parents screaming at me get the fuck out of the house. <laughs> my mom would say that. My mom would be like, get yeah. the fuck out of the house. Come back. And maybe they didn't use F-bombs to you, but she'd be like, you come back for dinner. Don't leave an earshot, right? right? Like I could go as far as I wanted as long as I could hear her calling me. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was my, that was my childhood never, too. That never happens now, yeah. right? I was, I was in ceremony with a guy in the UK. It's the same thing. He drives his kids from one thing to the next. I pick you up from school. I take you to soccer or jujitsu you know, that kind of thing. Then you're driven home. I drive you directly to your friend's house for a sleepover where you play in the backyard, you go to the playground supervised, or you come back. I don't want that for them. I want them. I want to be able to say like, get out of the house, go play. I'll see you at lunch. And to know he doesn't have to do it alone, that there's 20 other kids there that he can go run around with, mm-hmm. right? And get into trouble. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then, I mean, and then that was that was life. Yeah. Go and get go like get hit in the head with a pine cone. Like, and you come back and you're like got a little little cut here. And it's uh-huh. like, what were you guys doing? Oh, well, we were throwing pine cones at each other. Like 80 feet in trees throwing <laughs> pine cones at each other. But I mean, that was like talk about connection to nature. Like you're in the trees, your hands are covered in sap. You've got jagger bush. That's from Pittsburgh, jagger bushes, uh, thorn bushes, ripped up your arms and stuff from running barefoot through the woods. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I would love kids to grow up in a community, you know, like we've created the wall, the, not the walls, but we've sort of created the boundaries. Now explore the space. Mm -hmm. It's so important for our our development. Yeah. It's absolutely important. And it's something that I see is, is clearly been missing in bears six years, you know, and and we've, we've, we've done a great job. I mean, he's probably spent more time in nature than any kids his age. And certainly he spent more time with me, his father, than most kids his age. Cause I worked at a titty bar two days a week up until he was two years old. Yeah. And I've had the luxury of podcasting and kind of making my own schedule with right. exception to working it on it. Um, which was only for, you know, a couple of years. And even then I still had flexibility in my schedule. So he's had a lot of dad time. And I think that's critical for these upcoming generations, as you know, as a father, um, nature being super important and how we, you know, really one of the things that I've, I was reminded of in that equinox ceremony was it's going to be less about what I read and less about what I plan and more about what I listen to. Right. You know, like mm. what does the land want from me mm. as far as the pacing of the projects, as far as which animals come on and how many. Yeah. And, and really being just being mindful of that, paying attention to that, meditating, communicating with the land directly and letting it guide me to take things on at the right time with the right pace and not overcommitting and not, you know, to our time and overcommitting to uh, different projects that, that would lead me, you know, stretch paper thin. So I can't have time with my son or I can't have time to make sure different animals are doing well. Like we want to have every, every system that we engage with rocking and rolling and still know just as in biggest little farm, like it's going to take probably seven years to get that dialed in where it's back in harmony. 
You know, but we're, I mean, I'm, I'm looking up all sorts of stuff. We're going to have, uh, Alex Trubchinsky is going to come out and do biogeometry on the land. Like oh, we're right going to see like the yeah. grids, all of it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So like there, there's, it's, it's, it's really cool to think of things in that way. You know, I read, um, the Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. Love that. And I'm yeah. like, thank God for biogeometry. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for Dr. Ibrahim and, and Doria for what they're doing. Yeah. And the ability to, to create a more, more harmonious resonance with the frequencies that we're admitting, you yeah. know, like that, that's super important too, you know, but um, yeah, that's kind of where my head's been at and, and really thinking about that, you know, specifically uh, I've been looking at aircrete and dome structures because they're mud, uh, mold proof, fireproof, bug proof, and they're the last seven generations. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Totally. They're, they're, you know, they're kind of small, but there's a company here called monolithic dome up in Italy, Texas, just three hours North. Oh, no kidding. And they've done 30,000 square feet stadiums. Oh my gosh. And it's still all one structure. Um, it's like a big giant geodesic dome or is no, it? No, it's a it's one like, structure. They use an air form oh, balloon. Oh, And then they put insulation in, rebar inside the insulation, and then shotcrete. And because of so that- So they create this like giant inflatable mold. Uh-huh. And then they build on the inside. Uh-huh. No shit. Yeah, wow. dude, it's rad. That's it's super awesome. cool. Check it yeah. out. Their ebook's like 25. I'll link to that in the show notes. They got a $25 yeah. ebook. But that's 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 important, and this withstands yeah. hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, everything, right? But but yeah. one of the big draws for me, if I'm going to do something off grid and not be in a tiny home, because we got kids, it's like, hey, I'll, I can retire in a tiny home, but I don't want that right now. Uh, is the fact that the energy cost is nothing? Yeah, it's absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's rated higher than an R60 throughout the entire structure, and there's no air loss. Wow. They had they had a uh, scientist from uh, UT Austin come up and check it out. And he was like, I'm sorry, my instruments can't detect any air loss. We don't, I think the instruments are just designed for standard structures. They can't find it. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah. And so that with that, you know, you need another piece of technology that actually shuttles in fresh air because sure. you'd have, you know, CO2 would build up. Yeah. Like yeah. Sitting right. in a car with your windows up right. every day of the week that might add up. So they've, they've worked all this stuff out, but that's, that's, I've been fascinated with stuff like that. There's another cool one called Gablock. This guy in, um, uh, Belgium developed using plywood and recycled plastics as the insulation. These like uh, 10 inch or 12 inch thick giant Lego pieces that you can build by hand no using kidding. just a hammer and a screwdriver to fucking make you build your own house. It comes on a pallet and you build your whole thing. And they're made of like like a heavy duty, like a concrete or a plastic? No, it's it's plywood with um, some type of recycled plastics oh. that are blown up on the inside as the oh, insulation. Wow. And that's wow. also super highly insulative and really uh, um, a solid structure that leaves no gaps. And you could build your home in a day. Yeah. It's cool. It's yeah, really cool. Yeah. And it's all recycled, 100% recycled materials, right? That can break down. So it's, 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 it's cool stuff. And I think, you know, like that's another thing that leads me to understand. If we just understand first, how is the world actually operating right now? Because if you stick your head in the sand like an ostrich, you you know it's like it's like if I was in the cage and I was like, we're not in a fight right now, you know, we're not in a fight right now. We're just gonna spar. And yeah. then the guy fucking rips my head off, and it's like, <laughs> oh, that was a fight. That wasn't sparring. He wanted to hurt me. You know, like yeah. you can't fucking pretend. Yeah. That we're not in a fight right now. We are in a fight right now. Right. Some people call it World War Three. I don't know, but this is a fucking fight, and it's a fight for our minds. Right. It's a fight for what we normalize to be the new world, right? Or, yeah. or it can be something else. 
It's not too late to make it something else. And if we understand what's valuable, then we can start to create value where it's needed, value in our human interactions, value in the face-to-face. Eisenstein came out uh, to our last Fit for Service and it was here in Texas. And that's something that he said. It's like, you, there is something intangible that you'll never get from a Zoom call, ever. That's right. You'll never get it from a podcast, that's ever. Right. You get it in the being in someone's resonance, right? Heart math. Like yeah. we're sharing yeah, fucking yeah, energy yeah. field right now. Our, our energy fields are overlapping. Uh-huh. And, and yeah. That is 100% real. That's not woo-woo shit. It is backed by science. It is real, right? And even on an esoteric level, even if you couldn't back it by science, it's still real. It's still a felt experience that is undeniable. And I think the more we get to that, the more we engage. Um, and also, look, as much as I drop all this dark shit on people, the book, uh, The Power for the Powerless by Vaclav Havel mm, is brilliant. He was a dissident in Czechoslovakia when the USSR came in and um, went to jail. He later became president, became president there. Wow. But he talked about how um, non-compliers made it possible for them to not be completely overtaken. And Mm. all it took was them creating an alternate economy where they relied on each other and provided everything that was necessary, shelter, food, water, and work. Bingo. Boom. Couldn't fucking take them down. Right? That this is the last stand, right? We have guns here. We're not, it's not going to go down like Australia and Canada. I promise you that. Right? right? Like we have our ability to defend ourselves here. If we can acknowledge what's actually happening and then say, okay, what do we do now? Let's build the thing out the way we want to build it out. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even when I lost my, my job, I, you know, initially it's like, oh man, that's, that's a bummer. Like you get the security blanket ripped off. Right. But had I not been fired, would I have been put in a position where I could actually step back and say, what life do we want to create together? So you need to go through the, it's, it's sort of like the land field of despair. Like you need to go through that in order to, to like ditch that old story. It's a necessary part of our evolution as a, as a society. If we weren't be putting through these, being put through these tribulations right now, we wouldn't be forced to leave the, you know, the quote safety of status quo, you know, whatever it was before this, in order to actually create something that we really are in alignment with. It's, it's almost as if we've just been kind of putting up with the the sort of stuff that we see going on around us, it's just too inconvenient to think outside the box, right? And when you start talking about biodynamic farming and how you can get greater yield of more nutritious produce on a tiny plot of land using those techniques versus this commercial crap, it's scary for people. Like, yes, you're going to have to change your life a little bit, but the work of doing that is going to get us to a better place. And it's going to take a lot of emotional, spiritual, and physical investment of our resources into making this happen. But if we can do it, we can emerge over here and actually create that better world that we all want. We all know is, it's possible for this to happen. And perhaps maybe we should actually be thankful for this COVID thing because it's kind of like the universe shoving me out of my job, out of the conventional medical model so I can actually do what I was put here to do, which is to care for you and to love you. I can't do that in the medical system. So thank you, employer for just kicking my ass out <laughs> because now I actually have some space to create this life with my wife and, and, our, and our babies and, and our friends and our family in, in, in order to, to emerge anew and actually better than we ever could have been in the old story. I think COVID's kind of like that for our culture right now. 
And in some ways, we don't really have a choice apart from acknowledging that. But in some ways, maybe we should actually be thankful. Like, hey, thank you for finally giving us the agency to give you a big middle finger and to step out and to create something better. Yeah. That's absolutely. what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like um, if uh, Mama Bird was the shitty government pushing us out of the nest. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. like it's, like, I'll take it from here, yeah, Mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can stay here and, and live in uh, an electronic prison or let's see if you can fly, you know? Right. And so we got to right. see who's got their wings and who can fly right now. Yeah, what's that, that phrase from Fight Club? Like we're all so busy making or spending money we don't have on shit we don't need to impress people we don't give a fuck about. <laughs> like, can we just discard that? Like, let's actually just Im- become embodied, conscious human beings and let's actually just start caring for one another. This, this whole isolation and, and the neighbor that didn't get the vaccine is, is you know, the bad guy. And, and you know, um, we don't want other people to have guns or we, you know, we, we want to be cared for by the hospital system. Like, that may be, you know, may have served you previously, but was it really serving you in the maximum way? Like, like, were you really living the life that you truly wanted to live? Do you have that freedom to do what you want to do? Or are you trapped paying these bills, um, these taxes to a government that just wants to build billion dollar, you know, fighter jets to go bomb innocent men and, you know, women and children? Or do you actually want to be able to step out and say, I'm done? I'm done with this story. It takes courage, but you are not alone if you're feeling that way. There's many, many, many of us who are echoing this feeling. And when we actually get in, in, in person, Kyle, we both leave feeling like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm actually not crazy for feeling these things. It's not crazy for me to feel bad about there being like, you know, seven people controlling all of the world's wealth. Like, I think it's okay for me to push back against this. And I'm giving everybody who's listening permission to take a step out and join people like me and Kyle who are actually starting to try to just create this next step um, without abandoning everything that we've built up to this point. We have the human capacity to do that. And if we would, instead of investing in, you know, the exploitation of foreign nations, you know, and, and an exploitation of the earth and all of it on all of her mineral resources, if instead of doing that, if we could actually put our co-creative powers towards building community and loving and leading with compassion, our world actually could change. You just have to have a little bit of that courage and hang out with other people that feel like that. And it really does. It works as an echo chamber and the sound just gets amplified louder and louder and louder. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I don't even need all that shit that I thought I needed. And I don't mean material things. I mean, like, I don't need these systems of control we can actually build something better. I'm with you. Fuck yeah, brother. I got you. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Absolutely. Well, it's been, it's been phenomenal having you on here and, and even better uh, getting to know you, getting to share space with you. Yeah, and, brother. And I'm, I'm so thrilled and excited for what the future holds in store for us, brother. We got an awesome life ahead of us. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you online or, or connect with you? Yeah, I've got two ways that people are generally working with me. It's the consultation path. Like if you're pregnant, if your partner's pregnant, if you're a dad, new dad, and you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like it's a one-on-one consultation um, through the website. Um, that's kind of the practice side. I also, um, in supporting the, the, uh, the, the sort of the midwifery care model of caring for pregnancy and postpartum, 
um, I realized by me going to home birth, it's not helpful. Let me take a step back and let me actually put all of my energy and resources behind supporting the reemergence and the reestablishment of the midwifery model of care, which starts with the story and holds space for the process. It's really kind of, kind of comes full circle in that way. Um, so the way I'm doing that is people are, you know, can subscribe monthly and have me like on the phone, in text, in email to bounce any clinical questions they have in order to keep them and their patients, you know, as far removed from the medical system as possible. Um, presuming that that person's going to stay with home birth, or let's say that they do transfer to the hospital and you need like a backup, you need an advocate for that monthly fee. You as a midwife have an OBGYN who's very conscious of the pros and cons of the medical system and also takes a very holistic approach to keeping people healthy. So I kind of pride myself on, on just being able to support doulas, childbirth educators, you know, holistic lifestyle coaches, check professionals and midwives in supporting their clients and in, in providing that little insight from the allopathic model when it's necessary, but without them having to go into the doctor's office to have to then kind of navigate that system on their own. So, so that's the, those are the two things. Um, Beloved Holistics is my website. So anybody can come out and check out. And if you just want to come and send me a, a message too, I love hearing from people too. Absolutely, brother. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, well, man. let's get this workout on. Let's do it. Thank you, brother. <laughs>